Well, here we are, friends, week 10 of our On Mission series. For three months now, we've been learning what it means to join God on His mission in this world, the mission of saving people, transforming society, and remaking the world under His rule. And the wonderful thing is that we haven't just been talking about it, we've been doing it. When we began our series back in September, the campus in Watertown didn't even exist yet. Now there are 250 people worshiping there every Sunday and reaching out from there to serve their local community. When we began our series back in September, we had two overcrowded worship services in Wilmington. Now we've added a third 1230 service so we can make more room for folks as we head into the holiday season. When we began our series back in September, that's good news. When we began back in September, the Red Sox were not yet world champions. Now, we had nothing to do with that, but I figured you'd like to hear me say it. So we'll get it out of the way, and that's the end, okay? Last Saturday, over 200 Grace Chapel folks scattered to go on mission with our regional partners all over the region here. Some of them went to Dorchester and Lynn and Manchester. Some of them served locally from our campuses uh, right nearby, and they raked leaves, they cleaned up neighborhoods, they moved offices, they painted bathrooms, they made Christmas cards for prisoners, and they prayed for our partners and for our church. And I know that many of us this fall have stepped out of our comfort zone in one way or another to share the love of Christ in word and deed with people who are near and far. In fact, there's a growing collection of stories and pictures about Grace Chapel folks on mission. It's on our website. Just click on the On Mission logo, and you can see a bunch of pictures and stories there, and you can add your own. All that to say, it feels like we're off to a great start on our theme for this year, On Mission. We are beginning to grasp God's great heart for our communities, our city, and for the world. We are learning what it means to align our lives, our everyday lives, with His mission. I think we'd all agree we have a long way yet to go. There's a lot more we have to learn about this, a lot more we have to do, and a lot more we have to change. Now, for a lot of years, Grace Chapel has been primarily a come-and-see kind of church. In other words, our, our primary way of sharing the love and truth of Christ with our community and the world has been to invite people to come and, and see what we have to offer. Vibrant worship services, engaging teaching, kids' programs, student ministries, Bible studies, all kinds of things. Uh, it's what, in church speak, we call attractional model of ministry. And it's been very effective, and the church has grown and had a great impact. Now, certainly along the way, we have also been serving our communities. We have sent teams all over the country and all over the world. But primarily, it's been a come-and-see kind of approach to ministry. Now, that's legitimate, and it's effective. But as we enter the 21st century, the postmodern, post-Christian world in which we live, we need to become more of a go-and-do kind of church. See, fewer and fewer people are out there looking for a church to come to. More and more people are skeptical about organized Christianity. And so if we're going to share the love of Christ in word and deed, we're going to have to get out of the church and into our neighborhoods and communities and city and even the world, and we're going to have to do some things in Jesus' name. And that's what we mean by the missional approach to ministry or missional model of ministry. Now, we talked about a few weeks ago the fact that this doesn't have to be an either-or proposition. 
Okay, here at Grace Chapel, we believe in the power of and. Attractional and missional. So we are not going to give up on our come and see approach to ministry. God has used it dramatically. And as we head into the Christmas season in particular, we're going to lean heavily into that and be inviting as many people as we can to come and participate. But as we look to the future, we have to strengthen the go and do side of ministry. Learning what it means to get out of the church and into the community and into the world. So later on this year, we're going to talk some more about, about work as mission and we're going to talk about home as mission. So we're going to come back to this theme throughout the year. What I'd like to do this morning is to wrap up the series by asking what it's going to take of us individually and collectively to become more missional people, to become a more missional church. Because we're talking about more than just an occasional service project, a few good words and deeds here and there. We are talking about reordering, rearranging, reimagining every aspect of our lives. Our, our working lives, our schooling, our finances, our family life, our neighborhood involvement, our vacations, reimagining all of it and realigning it with God's mission. That's a big deal. So one more time, I'd like to look at the Apostle Paul and discover what it was that enabled him to do this? What made Paul tick? What enabled him to have such a dramatic impact on the world? Paul is arguably the most missional human being who's ever walked the planet, aside from the Lord Jesus. What enabled him to do that? Now, we know, of course, Paul has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. We know that he's filled with God's Holy Spirit. We know he's a man of prayer. We know he's devoted to the Scriptures. So all those things are a given. But on a personal level, what were the qualities, what were the dimensions of his life that enabled him and will enable us to live on mission and have such an impact? So let's go one more time to the book of Acts. We're going to go to the end of Paul's third missionary journey and see what we can learn about what makes him tick. I'm going to put the map on the screen one more time so you can get your bearings. This third trip began up in Antioch, took him across Asia Minor into Ephesus, up into Philippi and, and to Macedonia and Greece, and then back around again, all the way, we'll take him to Jerusalem eventually. So we're going to be working this morning out of Acts chapters 19 and 20. But instead of reading it together, I'd like us to hear it. Because I'd like you to get a feel for what was happening there on this journey. And I'd like to get you a fee, have you feel the Apostle Paul's heart. So as I share this story with you, I want you to be listening and thinking of words you might use to describe the Apostle Paul, okay? About that time, there arose in Ephesus a great disturbance about this movement called the Way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines for the goddess Artemis, brought a lot of business into the city. He gathered the craftsmen together, along with workers in the related trades, and he said to them, You know, friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear this fellow Paul, who has led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and the whole province of Asia. He says that God made, gods made with human hands are not gods at all 
there is a danger here. Not only that our trade might lose its good name, but that the great temple of the goddess Artemis will be discredited and that the goddess herself, who is revered throughout Asia and the whole world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. But when they heard this, they were furious and they began to shout as one, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. They seized Gaius and Aristarchus, two of Paul's traveling companions, and they rushed as one man into the stadium. Paul wanted to speak to the mob, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Even the city officials, who were friends of Paul, sent him messages begging him not to venture into the stadium. Well, inside, the whole assembly was in chaos. Some people were shouting one thing, some were shouting another. Most people had no idea why they were there. Some of the Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and he motioned to the crowd as if to speak. But when they realized he was just another Jew, they began shouting again in unison, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And they did it for two hours. Finally, the city clerk was able to quiet them down. My fellow Ephesians, he said, doesn't the whole world know that our city, Ephesus, is the guardian of the temple of Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Since these facts are undeniable, you need to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If Demetrius and his craftsmen have a grievance, they should bring it to the courts, press charges, and settle it in a legal manner. As it is, we are likely to be accused of rioting because there's no reason for this commotion. And with that, he dismissed the crowd. Now, when the uproar had ended, Paul called for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled throughout that region, speaking many words of encouragement to the churches until he reached Greece, where he stayed for three months. Some of his companions during that time were, were Sopater from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, and Timothy, of course, along with Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Well, these men went on ahead to wait for us in Troas. We stayed until the Passover was ended, sailed from Philippi, and met them in Troas. Now, Paul had decided to sail around Ephesus so as not to spend more time in the province of Asia. He was in a hurry, if at all possible, to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. But when we arrived in Miletus, he sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he spoke to them. My brothers, he said, you know how I have lived among you the whole time I have been with you, from my very first day in the province of Asia. I have served the Lord with great humility and with tears, in spite of severe testing by my opponents. I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Indeed, I have taught publicly from house to house around the city. I have declared to Jews and to Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, my friends, 
compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit has warned me, prison and hardships await me. But my life means nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task God has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you who have been serving with me will ever see me again. And so I, I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among His people. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. And they wept with him as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. This is God's word. Well, all right. What words come to your mind to describe the Apostle Paul? If you had to choose a word based on these, this little story, just toss out some words that come to your mind. Determined. Determined. Bold. Faithful, courageous, courageous. Surrendered. surrendered. Wilmington, I can't hear you. A little louder. Okay. <laughs> Any others? Obedient. Obedient. I mean, it's a re remarkable story. All kinds of words. So as I reflected on this, I settled on three. Three words, and you've touched on a few of them, that I think tell us what it takes to live a life on mission with God. So let me just walk through those three words together. The first word is courage. Courage. Courage is the ability and the willingness to do something difficult or dangerous. For instance, let's talk about base jumping. <laughs> base jumping is when people jump off a cliff, a bridge, or a skyscraper wearing a parachute or a wingsuit. I think we'd all agree base jumping is both difficult and dangerous. And so you can certainly say it takes courage to go base jumping. Some people would say it takes something else, but we, we won't get into all that. Those two words, difficult and dangerous, certainly apply to Paul's mission in Ephesus and everywhere else he goes. I mean, as we heard in the story, it didn't take long for Paul's ministry in Ephesus to have an impact, not only spiritually as people gave their lives to Christ, but economically as they began getting rid of their idols. Well, that created a real economic crisis for uh, the, the local 101 Silversmith Union, and so this guy Demetrius, head of the union, starts a riot in the city. And pretty soon he's got everybody worked up. Now, this whole scene probably unfolded on the main thoroughfare of Ephesus, which was known as the Arcadian Way. And the ruins of that Arcadian Way are still there to be seen. It's the main drag through town. Think Boylston Street, think Huntington Avenue, and you kind of get the idea. But quickly, the mob grew too large for the street, and so they moved as one into the stadium or the theater. You can see it in the distance there, and then we'll take a closer look at it. It's pretty impressive. Had seating for 25,000 people. So again, think Fenway Park and you'll get a sense of both the size and the presence that this stadium had in the city. Now I'm told by people who've been there that if you whisper 
from anywhere in that stadium, you can hear it all over, even today. And so imagine 25,000 people pumping their fists in the air and screaming at the top of their lungs, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And here's the apostle Paul. He wants to go talk to the crowd. <laughs> if you've ever been at Fenway Park when A-Rod steps up to the plate, you get a feeling for the hostility that was pouring out of that stadium. Paul wants to speak. But the disciples won't let him do it. Even the town officials say, hey, Paul, we cannot guarantee your safety if you go in there. Paul wanted to go. It looks like courage to me. Later on, we learn that there was a plot to take his life aboard the ship as he sailed down towards Jerusalem. Now, Paul doesn't have a death wish. He's not a fool, so he decides to travel overland instead. But it's not like he canceled the tour and packed up and went home. They could just as easily lay an ambush for him on the road or be waiting for him in the next port. Looks like courage to me. And then, in his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, he says, I know that prison and hardship await me, but I'm going. He's prepared to die for the sake of his mission. Looks like courage. Paul by his words and by his example, teaches us that living on mission calls for courage, the ability and the willingness to do something difficult or dangerous. Now, what does all this mean for us here in the American church in the 21st century? Well, not many of us are likely to get, uh, have to defend ourselves to an angry mob at Fenway Park. We're not likely to be thrown into prison for sharing our faith. But we are kidding ourselves if we think that living on mission is going to be easy, comfortable, or popular. It takes courage to do the kinds of things we're talking about. It takes courage to reorder your life. It takes courage to do church differently. It takes courage to speak up when you might be laughed at or, or misunderstood. It takes courage to go to the part of the city you're not familiar with that you don't feel comfortable in. It takes courage to reach across a cultural divide to someone who's different than you are. It takes courage to open your heart to a stranger. It takes courage to open your home to a child who might bring all kinds of issues and baggage with them. It takes courage to give away 10% of your income. Takes courage to make yourself available to God anywhere, anytime, with anyone. I was talking just this past week with a Grace Chapel guy who goes to the Wilmington campus, and he was telling me that uh, several years ago he, uh, he was having a conversation with a friend of his whose young adult son was in trouble. In fact, that son had just been sent to jail. Now, this Grace Chapel guy, I'll call him Ray, didn't know the son at all, but for some reason he had a burden for that young man. He had no idea what to do about that. He'd never done anything like this. But he decided to send a letter to the young man. And the man wrote back. They began corresponding. Soon, Ray began going to the jail and visiting with this young man he'd never met before. And he did that for a couple of years. Well, the young man is out of jail now, and Ray continues to walk alongside him. That takes courage. It takes courage to stick your neck out like that to enter into a world you're not all that familiar with. I heard about one of our Grace Chapel young people who has gone off to one of the nearby universities. 
she has started a club on campus called Safe Zone. And it's a group where LGBTQ students can explore matters of faith in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. Now, that's a risky thing to do. She risks being misunderstood and criticized from all sides. Living on mission is courageous for our students on high school and university campuses today. So where do we find this kind of courage? Are some people just cut out for this sort of thing? Are they born brave? Last Sunday we... uh, took a look at the, a clip from the film Saving Private Ryan. And we met Captain Miller. Captain Miller, the Army Ranger. Captain Miller, the Medal of Honor hero. Captain Miller, who never ducked a fight. In fact, when they went after that machine gun nest, it was Captain Miller who led the charge right up the gut. Well, Captain Miller becomes such a towering figure in the lives of his men that they begin to wonder who this guy really is. In fact, they form a pool of money to be awarded to anyone who can figure out who or what Captain Miller was back home in real life. Rumor has it that he's not an actual human being, that he was assembled in headquarters from spare parts. Well, eventually the truth comes out, and it turns out that Captain Miller back home is a school teacher. He teaches middle school English in a small town in Pennsylvania, and he coaches the baseball team. The guys are stunned. A school teacher, a husband, a father, a coach like us. He's just an ordinary guy. But we tend to make the same mistake when we come to the scriptures and we hear a story like we just heard about the Apostle Paul. We marvel at his courage, but we, we put him in a different category. Yeah, he's different. He's made of different stuff than we are. We do that when we hear stories of of, of global and regional partners we work with uh, here in our city and around the world. People who go to difficult and dangerous places and stay there. Uh, We think that way probably about Libby Little, who was with us a couple of weeks ago, who talked about raising her family and staying for decades in, in, in Afghanistan during regime change and civil unrest and violence in the streets. Uh, we marvel at their courage, but we say to ourselves, that they, they must be a different breed. But our partners would be the first to tell us that they are very ordinary people. They're made of the same stuff we are. They're afraid of the same things we're afraid of. They worry about the same things we worry about, about our safety, about our children, about the future. In fact, I found it interesting. In one of the services, Libby mentioned what she was before she went to Afghanistan. Anybody remember? An English teacher. An English teacher. So where do these ordinary people find the courage to go, to stay, to do, to stand, to sacrifice? I asked them that question when we were together last week. And you know what they said? They said, you don't find the courage in advance. You find it in the moment. It's in the moment that you make the decision to go, stay, speak, stand. In that moment, you find grace and courage. So courage flows from commitment. Courage flows from commitment. 
That's the second word that leaps out at me about the Apostle Paul is commitment. Commitment is doing what you said you were going to do. Commitment is showing up again and again and again. Commitment is following through on what you said. And commitment is what missional living requires. A few moments ago here in Lexington, we baptized several folks from Grace Chapel. They stood before this congregation and they testified to their faith in Jesus Christ. But then, the baptizing pastor asked each of them a question. Is it your desire to love and serve Christ for the rest of your life? They said, yes. And then they were lowered under the water, symbolizing their surrender of their entire being and their entire life to God, Christ's Lordship. And then they were raised up to live in this newness of life. That's a significant moment in the life of a Christ follower. You have gone public. You are all in. You've made a commitment. If you've never marked your moment that way, I encourage you to do it. Courage flows from that commitment. So it is with the Apostle Paul. His, His courage flowed from his commitment to answer God's call in his life. Listen again to what he says. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. I have not hesitated to preach anything. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. It was commitment that kept Paul on the road for most of his adult life. It was commitment that compelled him to get up after a beating or a stoning and walk to the next town. It was commitment that compelled him to return to those churches again and again and again, to listen to their squabbles, help them settle it, and get started once again. And it was a commitment that led him back to Jerusalem, not knowing what was going to happen to him there. Living on mission calls for courage and commitment, a decision to do something and then keep doing it. Now, I got a lesson in the importance of commitment just this past week. Our life community for the past couple of years has made a commitment to serve at Place of Promise up in Lowell. Place of Promise is one of the ministries we partner with. Uh, They are kind of a group home for men and women whose lives have, for one reason or another, fallen apart. So there's a men's home and 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 a women's house. Once a month, a few of us from our life community go up and we bring a meal and we bring a Bible study and we just spend some time with them. So this past Tuesday, Karen and I and a few others were heading up to Place of Promise. And I did not want to go. I just didn't want to go. I was tired, had a lot of nights out that week. We had gone last month, so it should have been somebody else's turn. We got home. We had to quick get some food together, get a Bible study together, fight traffic on Route 3 up to Lowell, and I grumped about it the whole way. We start the Bible study, and one of our guys poses a question to the group. There's the three of us and uh, a handful of guys who live in the house there. And then the question that, uh, that our leader asked was to, uh, to, to explain what it means to testify to our faith. And a guy who sits way back in the far corner of the room, who's been there for at least a year or so, hardly ever says anything, finally decides to speak up. And he says, uh, testifying is, is like what you guys are doing. Like Pastor Brian. He's pastor of a big church, but he keeps coming back to do Bible study with us. Yeah, that's me, Mr. Commitment. (laughs) But I could hear in his voice 
and in his words how important it was that we just kept showing up. When Libby told her story towards the end about, about the neighbor who brought a chocolate cake that began her journey to faith when she was just a kid, what she neglected to tell us was that the neighbor brought the cake every week for two years. And that began her journey of faith. So commitment is about continuing to show up. And it's going to take commitment if we're going to be a go-and-do kind of church. So we're off to a great start this fall, but it's going to take more than 10 weeks. It's going to take more than a year. This is a 3, 5, 10, 20-year vision to see the spiritual landscape of our city and our world change. The city has seen a lot of churches come and go, show up and give up. So we're committed for the long haul. And in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to consider commitment. Well, originally, my message only had two words. And right about now, you're probably wishing it still only had two words. But I'll give you the third word quickly. You can't leave this word out. And it's the word community. Community. You see, we tend to think of Paul as a lone ranger type, a star performer who goes off to save the world whether anyone joins him or not. But when you read this story, you see how important people and relationships are to him. I mean, it struck me as I read this passage, Paul never goes anywhere by himself. He's always got an entourage with him. I think that's why Luke gives us the names all the time. Gaius and Aristarchus and Priscilla and Aquila. He's giving us a glimpse into the heart of this man, Paul. He was with people every chance he got. He was gathering them together. He was encouraging them and being encouraged by them. He wanted to pray with them, talk with them, worship them, hug them and kiss them. We've got this vivid scene of them weeping on the beach together. This is hardly a lone ranger. Paul understood the power of community. He understood that in community, we find courage and commitment we didn't even know we had. It's only in community that we can reach and make an impact on our communities and our city. You see, something happens when you're in community with people. You, you find courage and commitment that you didn't even know you had. I mean, I'm thinking about the serving day we had uh, last Saturday I spoke about earlier. Um, Suppose we had asked people to go by themselves, drive into Dorchester, find a place to park, go to some neighborhood, start raking, do it for three hours, and then come home again. I wonder how many people would have gone. But look how many people went when we did it as a group. They seem to be having a pretty good day. If we had asked a bunch of teenagers to get up early on a Saturday morning, go rake leaves, in somebody else's yard, for no pay, how do you think they would have felt about that? Well, here's a picture. They're not quite as happy as the first group, but they're... <laughs> they don't ask too much of teenagers at 9 o'clock in the morning. Something happens when we're together. Now, folks, we all understand. It is not always going to be easy and comfortable. We're not always going to be smiling for the camera. There are times we're going to be grumpy and we don't want to go. There are going to be times we are frustrated with each other and with the very people that we're trying to help. There are going to be times when we're afraid to do what we feel we're asked to do. But in community, we can do it. We find courage and confidence every time we get together. 
And so if we're going to become a go-and-do kind of church, we have to be in it together. Gathering on our campuses for worship on a weekly basis, getting together in small groups to pray and support each other, and then spreading out all over the city and the world in Jesus' name. Not just in community with each other as members of Grace Chapel, but in community with other churches around the city and across the world. That's why Paul visits all these churches. He's reminding them, he's connecting them, that if they're going to do anything in the world in Jesus' name, they're going to have to do it together. Friends, we are, we are ordinary people. We're not base jumpers, most of us. We're more like middle school English teachers. We have fears and flaws, worries and weaknesses. I mean, who are we to think we can change the world or change our city or change even one person's life? We are nobody to think that alone. But in Christ and in community, we can find the courage and commitment see the kingdom of God flourish in our neighborhoods, our city, and even around the world. Living on mission calls for courage, commitment, and community. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to mark our commitment as a congregation on each of our campuses. We're going to take a moment to pray together and commission ourselves for the work of ministry. But before we do that, I'd like to take one moment and just sort of remind ourselves of, of all we've been talking about this fall. So we've created a little spoken word video that captures the spirit and the truth of this series. Let's listen together and then share in a moment of commitment. To live on mission. It's not a one-time decision but a whole life collision between God and man, head, heart, and hand, between justice and evangelism, enacted through God's provision with our full submission to Jesus' vision, what we call the Great Commission. To see heaven come down, the lost be found, the enemies bound, and his glory resound. For his truth to be known, his love to be shown, not just in words, but in flesh and in bone, so that he alone would sit enthroned above every God and every power and every land and every hour and every mind and every breath over life and even death. So his will would be done and we'd see his kingdom come with Christ playing in 10,000 places to the Father through people's faces as the Spirit erases the marks and traces of all our pain and sin so we can begin again as a community who has God within as the center of it all bringing redemption to the fall and issuing the call for us to be a part of the end that far surpasses the start. So hold back no longer, for our God is stronger and live the mission that cannot be stopped by joining God and putting love where love is not. All right. Let's stand up. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite our musicians to come up. Now, when we uh, send off summer mission teams every June, we have a commissioning moment. We bring them up in front of the congregation and we pray for them as we send them out. Well, this morning, we're going to commission ourselves and we're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to offer a prayer together and then sing a song as we 
launch ourselves into this, uh, this next season of, of life and mission and church together. So uh, we're going to put a prayer that we've crafted up on the screens. We're going to say it out loud together, and then we'll sing. So join me in praying. Lord, open my eyes to your heart for the world, and grant me the courage to live on mission with you and your people, sharing the love of Christ in word and deed with my neighbors, my city, and the world. Amen.